From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. Today, we're talking about summertime skin care with Dr. Ramsey Farah. He's an associate professor and the chief of dermatology at Upstate, and he's with me in the HealthLink on Air studio. Thank you for being here, Dr. Farah. Thanks for having me. So let's start with sun exposure. Um, what amount of sun exposure is considered safe? Is there any amount that's safe? Um, well, I, you know, I think one has to be reasonable, uh, of course. I, uh, you can't say that no sun exposure is allowed at all. Uh, so, you know, the, the sun is uh, a, a very much part of our biology, and we do need sun for certain normal processes like vitamin D development and so forth. Um, you know, the bottom line is once you have a tan, that is a response to ultraviolet light radiation and damage. And so the body's defense mechanism is to create a tan. So in a way, by definition, once you have a tan, you're getting a little bit of sun damage. Now, one tan uh, in isolation is not necessarily the thing that's going to cause long-term problems. But if one engages in a behavior where one is frequently tanning, since ultraviolet light radiation is cumulative, over a lifetime one can develop a significant amount of DNA damage in their skin and that can lead to skin cancers. But one has to be reasonable. You know, we, we cannot live indoors, although in Syracuse we probably feel like we it. We spend a lot of time indoors. Sure. So the recommendation for an adequate amount of sun exposure for normal processes like vitamin D exposure is about 10 or 15 minutes, maybe three times a week without sunscreen and not at peak hours should be sufficient for uh, enough vitamin D synthesis. So that also brings us to the question of how much vitamin D is necessary and normal. And that's a difficult question to answer because the value that the medical community gives is always changing and it seems to be ever increasing. Um, I'm not suggesting that that's wrong, but if you get your vitamin D level tested and it's below what is the current standard recommendation, one can always, through diet and supplementation, make up for it to reach the appropriate level. And vitamin D is not an insignificant issue. I mean, uh, uh, lack of vitamin D causes all sorts of problems for us in terms of cancer production and so forth. So it's important. Uh, but again, the message I want to leave is um, it, it's not that we're advocating no sun exposure, zero uh, at all. We're advocating sensible sun exposure, and we're advocating a lifestyle that includes good habits when you are out in the sun, um, sun protective techniques, which we can talk about. If I have on sunscreen, uh, will that prevent me from getting the vitamin D synthesis that I need? Well, uh, to a certain extent, yes, uh, because it's blocking the, the sun's rays. So that's why we recommend uh, two to three times a week, 10 to 15 minutes, not at peak exposure without sunscreen so that you can ensure there's okay. enough sunlight to get you the vitamin D that you need. Okay. Now, you mentioned um, once you have a tan, uh, that the tanning is the body's defense mechanism. Mm -hmm. And I've heard of people that uh, they say they want to get a base tan before they you know, go on a tropical vacation or something. Sure. Is there, is there value to doing that? No, there really isn't. Because even though uh, we tan as a defense mechanism, it is 
not really an adequate defense for the amount of sun exposure that people subsequently get. In fact, some of the studies show that people who get the, quote, baseline protective tan, psychologically they feel so secure about it that A, they don't use any more sunscreen, and B, they go out longer in the sun, and they wind up getting a whopping dose of sun exposure during the vacation. And that kind of pattern actually leads to more sun damage. Um, so it's a false notion, really. Um, and so our tans, while it's the best that nature has given us, are not really adequate enough in terms of preventing sun, uh, skin cancers and so forth. Does a tan prevent a burn later if you have a base tan or, or not? Yes. So, uh, again, it's a question of degrees. How much sun exposure are you getting it? Where are you getting the sun? Is it in the Caribbean when it's, where it's very intense? Is it by the beach where there's a lot of reflection? So I, I don't want to say that a tan will be complete protection against a sunburn in any scenario because it won't. But I suppose on an average exposure, once you have a tan, you will need progressively larger amount of sun exposure to actually burn. And so I do want to make a comment that it is better to at least tan than it is, than it is to burn because this very intense uh, acute uh, uh, exposure that would lead to a sunburn is actually even more detrimental in terms of skin cancer production than a tan. So I was going to ask you if tanning is ever safe, but you kind of already sort of answered that. Yeah. So, you know, again, as the dermatologist, I can't advocate really um, getting sun damage as further prevention of disease in the future. It just doesn't make sense. What I can advocate is good uh, sun protective techniques over a lifetime so that over a lifetime the amount of exposure and the amount of tanning you do is is minimized and again I want to reiterate it's not the one tan that's going to cause a problem but it's the pattern of consistent sure. and frequent tanning that will result in issues now of course everyone's got uh, different skin complexions and and so uh, the needs for sun protection seem to be different for different people, right? Yes, ab absolutely. I mean, we're sitting across from the table, uh, you're uh, white, blonde, blue-eyed, I'm more olive-skinned, so of course you're going to be more at risk for sun exposure and sunburns than I would. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm totally uh, uh, absolved of, of practicing the same measures that you would. In fact, if I shine uh, what's called a woods lamp on my face, which is a special blue light uh, that can highlight sun damage underneath the skin. It would be shocking to see how much sun damage even I have as an olive-skinned person. But you bring up a very good point. There are different um, uh, classifications of skin types, one through six, one being the lightest and six being the darkest. And as you progress up or down the scale, uh, increasing numbers, you get higher pigment in individuals and therefore more natural protection. Uh, and so, for example, if I'm a little bit lax about not putting my sunscreen on every two hours, 
I could more easily get away with it than you could. You really have to put your sunscreen on every two hours or else you will burn. Absolutely. This is Upstate's HealthLink on air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, and I'm talking with Dr. Ramsey Farah, the chief of dermatology at Upstate, about summertime skin care. So sunscreens. Does everybody need sunscreen no matter your pigment? Uh, so the answer is yes, uh, for, for various reasons. So um, it's not just an issue of skin cancer, although that's the major issue, but some individuals actually have allergies to the sun. So de- depending on what's going on, sunscreen can have a, a wide range of applications. But, you know, in terms of talking about skin cancer production, which is, is the main issue, um, yes, everyone needs uh, sunscreen. Now, um, people who are uh, quite dark, again, might not need uh, as high an SPF or as frequent an application. Um, but just about everyone up to um, type 4 or type 5 skin should have sunscreen as one element of their sun protection techniques. So sunscreens are not perfect, uh, but they're the best we have. But there are other things you can do. So for example, you can wear uh hats with a four inch brim because it's very hard to put sunscreen in one scalp with a full head of hair Um, it's hard to put sunscreens on one's eyelids of course right it's going to get in your eyes and sting so one should wear sunglasses that's uh, blocking of uv not just for your skin but for your retina there's a lot of macular degeneration and all sorts of problems that can occur from a lot of sun exposure to the eyes Uh, There are very fashionable, light, airy clothes, sunscreen clothes that people can uh, buy and wear. Um, You can seek the shade if you're outside. You can still be outside, but in a shady area. You can try and avoid the peak hours of exposure, uh, broadly speaking, from 10 o'clock to 2 o'clock. Um, So those are other things that one can do to protect oneself from the sun. And of course, sunscreen is also a part of that uh, regimen. But so I just want to reiterate that sunscreen is not the only thing you can do. It's one of many things. Let me ask you, as a fair-skinned woman, uh, the makeup foundations that say they have SPF in them, can we trust that they have sun protection? Yes, uh, one can. Uh, So this brings up another important issue. If you are using a sunscreen in a vehicle that you do not like, it just doesn't feel good on your skin, you're just not going to use it. So if in makeup there is sunscreen in a vehicle, obviously, that you like because you apply it, then by all means, use it. The only issue with the makeups is reapplication. So often with a foundation or a makeup, you're just going to put it on once. So therein lies the problem. I think if, if you are just going to work and you have a job indoors, that's adequate. But if you work outside, it's not adequate because, again, the recommendation is that you apply, reapply your sunscreen rather every two to three hours or so. Um, so whether it's in makeup or in another vehicle, it's important to pick a vehicle that you like so that you'll actually consistently use it. What's the highest SPF a person with fair skin should get? Because I see a wide range of what's sure. available. So uh, the recommendation, the current recommendation is 30 or above. Now, there's nothing wrong with using 50 or 60, etc. Um, but the general principle is 
using 30, but properly, meaning every two hours, is better than using 50 and just applying it once. So 30 is the minimum number. Reapplication is the key. Uh, there's certainly nothing wrong with the higher levels. The amount of protection you get with the higher level um, doesn't necessarily, if you graph it, doesn't necessarily increase in a linear fashion. Um, you do get some more protection, especially in the UVA uh, field, uh, but it's not a it's not a linear curve or a direct, pro direct proportion to the number. So that's why we recommend thirty uh, or above, but thirty as a minimum every uh, two to three hours. Uh, and I think one would be fine, even a fair skinned individual. Uh, I've heard a lot of concern lately about sunscreens and the body absorbing the chemicals in the sunscreen. Yes. Are, are you aware of that? Is that? Uh, yes, I am. So I'm glad you brought that up. Um, so one question that people frequently ask is, ask is, well, you know, why didn't you tell us this before? Uh, you know, we just can't win. You tell us to do one thing now, and then later you change your mind. So what I would say to that is we're not changing our mind. But, of course, as our technologies grow, as we're able to measure things more accurately in the bloodstream, we gain more information. And once we gain information, we have to modify our previous recommendations. And so this is what's happening, I think, in this case. So there was a recent study that essentially said if one is applying sunscreens under maximal conditions, meaning uh, frequently enough, a high enough SPF, a certain percentage of body surface area. The, the study showed that the concentration of some of the chemicals in the sunscreen are absorbed into our bloodstream at a higher and measured at a higher concentration than was previously thought. And that concentration is sufficiently high enough for the FDA to call for further studies to find out whether there's actually a biologic effect or any effects with those concentrations in our bloodstream. And the main concern is that these chemicals uh, may affect uh, endocrine and reproductive systems. So the study, I should add, did not um, suggest that because of these findings, people should not wear sunscreen. On the contrary, the, the study still recommended that people wear sunscreen. Some other information related to this is that there are some ingredients that even in this study and the FDA still find uh, completely safe because they're inert. And these two ingredients are zinc oxide and titanium dioxide. So my recommendation with this new information uh, when patients ask me about this is look for sunscreens with these two ingredients. These are physical blockers. Yes, they are absorbed into the bloodstream, but they're absorbed less than the chemical blockers. And even though they're absorbed, they are still considered inert. So they don't have the same potentially disruptive effects on endocrine and reproductive systems. So that's zinc oxide? Zinc oxide and titanium dioxide. And so when you look at the sunscreen, uh, there is a section that usually says, you know, UV blocking uh, ingredients. Those are the two you should look for. And you should have as little as possible of the other chemical blockers uh, until we have more information. But again, the main message is the study doesn't say don't use sunscreen, 
Um, and these are valid questions that the study is bringing up, to be sure. And in the meantime, until these are answered, you're perfectly okay in using those two ingredients, which, to be honest with you, before this uh, study came out, were the two ingredients that I recommended anyway because they happen to be the best blocking agents. They're actually physical particles, and they just block the sun. Now, are those available in lotion and spray? Because the spray sunscreens came out a, a little while ago. R- right. So... Um, I actually haven't looked at some of the sprays recently, so I think the answer is yes. I, I've been able to find them in the past. You have to look uh, on the ingredients, of sure. course. So sure. the one, um, but there are micronized forms too, so I, I want to bring that up because sometimes the zinc oxide and, and titanium dioxide, they can look a little bit pasty, but the new formulations with what are called micronized particles go on in a much more cosmetically elegant way. So the one thing I wanted to mention about the sprays is always put those outside and kind of hold your breath when you when you spray them because you don't want to inhale uh, any of these particles, because that might not be good for you either in terms of your lungs. So it's perfectly okay to use them, but use them outside, don't inhale them. And when you're applying a sunscreen, whether it's a cream, a lotion, or a spray, the proper amount is to apply uh, uh, enough so that there's an initial sort of sheen or shininess on the skin that quickly kind of dissipates and gets absorbed into the skin. So that's the proper amount. Okay. Now, you mentioned sunscreen protects from skin cancer, but also from sun allergy. Mm-hmm. How would a person know if they're allergic to the sun? Sure, it's a good question. And sometimes it's very difficult to make the diagnosis because one doesn't usually think one is allergic to something as basic as the sun. But there's usually a certain pattern, and that pattern is you're perfectly okay in the winter and even in the fall. And when the spring comes along, Uh, you progressively get more sun exposure and you start to break out in this rash. And as you get more and more sun damage, it gets a little bit worse and worse. And then by the time the fall rolls around and you're getting less and less sun, it seems to dissipate. Um, The rashes that you can, the the allergic reactions you can get from the sun are very varied. It's really too long a discussion to have here. But basically, if you have symptoms of redness, itchiness, or scaling, that you can correlate with this pattern to sun exposure, then it's probably a reasonable assumption to to think that maybe this is caused by the sun. The two main entities, and there are many, but the two most common ones are something called polymorphous light eruption. Polymorphous means many forms, so it can look like many different forms. And solar urticaria, or sun-induced hives. Gotcha. Well, before I let you go, I want to ask for your uh, sunburn remedy. But first, is there a way to tell that you're developing a sunburn before you've actually got it? Um, The symptoms of a sunburn, of course, can vary depending on the severity, and it can range all the way up to getting full-blown blisters, which is the worst kind of sunburn you can get. But usually the symptoms of a sunburn are maybe tingling or itching, the skin is beginning to feel a little bit red. The skin is beginning to feel a little bit hot and swollen. Uh, those are signs of an actual sunburn. And to the degree that a sunburn is developing, if you feel any of those things happening, uh, then you're probably, by definition, already have a bit of a sunburn, and you should take action to prevent further 
exposure. But uh, apart from that, no, I don't think there's anything preceding those symptoms that can tell you you're getting a sunburn. You've already got it. Well, what do you recommend for treatment then? Um, So cool compresses. Um, Cold washcloth? Right. Uh, You can apply a topical steroid. And you can actually take an aspirin and take an aspirin every four hours or so. Uh, The aspirin will act as an anti-inflammatory mechanism. And if you take it right away, it can help mitigate some of the problems and inflammation and symptoms of a sunburn. So uh, cool compresses, topical steroids, um, keep the skin moisturized, and an aspirin. And call me in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, as far as calling a doctor, though, uh, you mentioned blistering. Is that if, if there's blisters, do you need medical attention? Yes. So I should mention that, you know, sunburns are actually like any other burn on the skin. They can be graded and uh, first, second, and third degree burns. And it's rare really to get a third degree burn, but you can get a second degree burn from the sun. And depending on how extensive it is, I mean, that can be a really serious thing. Um, so one must really guard against that. Okay. Well, very good information. I appreciate you being here. My pleasure. Thanks for asking. My guest has been dermatology chief, Dr. Ramsey Farah. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.